0: Midwest Mavericks is powered by Mother G, aligning business and technology. So we're on our way to DePaul University to drop my son off for his first day. We're spending the night there. The hotel that I can find through the school is booked. We get down to, to Greencastle, Indiana, and I'm looking around for a place to stay. The only hotel we pull up into says it has vacancy. I look at my wife, and I realize right there I'm in trouble. I tell her, don't worry, honey, it won't be terrible. That night, she slept on a towel on the bed in her clothes, refusing to get undressed. This is a story today about someone who understands that problem and has solved it. Mike Doyle is one of the founders of Rent Like a Champion and has started a version of renting homes, much like Airbnb, but really around the college experience. And it's really a fascinating story uh, today that we'll explore and uh, talk about his company that actually has been featured uh, on Shark Tank and has Chris Saka and Mark Cuban as investors now. Mike, welcome to the show today.
1: Great to be here, Dave. Thanks for having me.
0: Where'd you grow up? I grew up in uh, a
1: very small town in central Illinois called Jacksonville down by Springfield. I know Jacksonville. I know My most, daughter played soccer <laughs> most there Most people once. don't know Jacksonville, okay, yeah. so that's fun. Yeah, uh, yeah very small town. Uh, I was one of six kids, a uh, big Irish Catholic family. Uh, Ended up going to school after high school. I went up to South Bend for college, uh, up to Notre Dame, and kind of one of those raised on it things, you know, four of the six of us ended up. Shuttling up there for oh, school. Oh, is that right?
0: Well, that's a tough school to get into. You must have done. well you know, we were we
1: were kind of growing up on it. Like you know, my dad went there, and um, you know, from a from a young age, we were. Uh, I was kind uh, of pushed, so you got in the Irish mafia. Us. Yeah, exactly. No choice. No choice. Exactly. To get out of
0: it. I think your sophomore year, right? You that's went right. to work for your co-founders.
1: Yeah, we, we have kind of a non-traditional story, I guess. You know, like a lot of businesses are, kind of how it how it got spun up. Um, so I have three partners who are all about ten years older than I am. Uh, Three guys named Jordan Kearns, Derek Shank, and Drew Mitchell. Uh, When I was an undergrad, those guys were out of school by a few years, and they had started buying homes in South Bend, a traditional brick-and-mortar student housing type company.
0: So Um, they're like on their regular career path, and they decide, let's buy some homes around Notre Dame and rent yeah. them to students.
1: Yeah, that's right. They, they were—they're uh, all very entrepreneurial guys in their own right. And uh, Drew was actually uh, about to go back to South Bend for his MBA for business school, uh, and kind of fell into this realization that the economics of, of owning student rentals in South Bend. Uh, were very attractive, so he kind of pulled in his buddies. He said, "Hey, let's you know, let's let's buy some homes." And he likes to tell the story that uh, you know, by the time he finished his MBA program, twenty months later, you know, they had a portfolio of fifteen homes that they were trying to rent out to Notre Dame students. Oh, that's cool! It was actually it was a really smart model. They started hiring undergrads. To essentially get their buddies to walk through the homes and hopefully sign a lease. You so, know, so you
0: were quote employees of yeah. the company. So
1: I was uh, you know I was showing kids from the dorm, kids from class. I was showing them homes, and then if somebody signed a lease, you know I got a check for five hundred bucks, and I was living nice. high on the hog yeah, for that's, uh, for, that's for weeks. Some good beer as a money, college yeah. Student. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of how the business originally started, and you know we're like a champion as it is today, which is a uh, really kind of a peer to peer. Home rental marketplace where we don't actually own the real estate that was born out of that uh, existing real estate company in South Bend,
0: so you're working for these guys while you're going to school you graduate and decide let's keep going yeah
1: that's uh kind of the long and short of it you know we uh so we had this portfolio of uh, you know probably about twenty student homes that I was helping them rent um you know got to the point where I was kind of running a team of a dozen or so other undergrads who were you know, helping out on the leasing piece, had this problem one year where uh, there was a vacancy in the portfolio when all the kids left in May. And essentially, once the students leave, if the house isn't rented for the next year, you're kind of out of luck. Right, because so, you know,
0: then it sits.
1: And then it sits. And there's this question of, how do we pay the mortgage? Uh, you know, how do we make money off this home? And, and that's kind of when the realization hit. Uh, you know, this was really before... Uh, home rental sites were as ubiquitous as they are today. So we were putting it up on, you know, Craigslist, eBay, Notre Dame message boards, just saying, hey, if you're a Notre Dame fan coming in for a game, you know, we'll fill it up with beds and instead of you and your buddies. So how'd you get that idea?
0: Just, you know, pure. Yeah, soda. I mean, it was
1: like I said, Drew, Derek, and Jordan were, uh, you know, very entrepreneurial guys and uh, kind of a. Uh, A niche that needed to be scratched in terms of we got to pay the mortgage and there's nobody renting this house. How are we going to make this work?
0: Going down for a Um, game. Yeah, yeah.
1: So they, you know, at first it was the first home we were renting for football weekends was property we owned and they just kind of loaded it up with beds. And, um, you know, it's like, hey, if you're going with 10 buddies, rent this house. Dorm room. (laughs) uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, what happened kind of a, it was never the intent. Um, for that to become the focus of the business. I mean, that was always just a mechanism to monetize vacancies. But what started to happen was that people who lived in those neighborhoods where our homes were, uh, you know, professors, grad students, other people who just lived in South Bend, Heard about what we were doing. They heard that oh, you can make X per weekend by renting out the home, and started asking us, "Well, can you help us do that?" If you live there for 20 years, I think some of the mystique has worn off. It's more of just a headache. You know, you right, can't go to a restaurant, you right, can't go to the store. Right, right. Um, yeah. If you can leave town and make 1,200 bucks while you do it, it's uh, it's a so. Good so job. this
0: was an evolving model. When did you have the epiphany? Like this actually should be the business.
1: That summer, that I got back from Dublin um, while I was abroad studying in the pubs, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do that summer. And I actually pitched uh, my partners on hey, I want to take. The vacation rental side of the business and see if we can drop that in another market. So I wrote up a plan uh, and we kind of ID'd State College, Pennsylvania, where Penn State is, as what we thought would be the ideal market number two. So I, you know, wrote up a business plan, essentially said, here's what I want to do, here's how I want to make it work, asked them for a chunk of money. To their credit, they trusted a a 21 year old. They said, all right, sure, we'll give you some money. You can spend the summer. So timeline wise, that was the summer of 2011, so it was the summer before my senior year of, of, of college.
0: Okay, so you're going into your senior year. Yep. You, you finish your semester at Dublin. Yep. And you come home and say, I'm going to take the summer and try and launch this thing in State College, Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, I drove out there with. Uh, it was actually I drove out there with like a flyer, you know, a trunk full of flyers. <laughs> uh, I literally spent like four days in a row. In hindsight, I this, love that
0: marketing. Well,
1: in, in hindsight, this wasn't the most uh, scalable way to do things. Every morning, I would put an ad up on Craigslist and say, "Hey, I'll pay you fifteen bucks an hour. This is the hotel I'm staying at." Me in the parking lot, and we're just going to go drop
0: flyers all over. Sounds a little nefarious. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I know. I'm not sure my mother really loved it. Uh, but, you know, it, it worked. we got Penn State off the ground. And really, so that fall, so fall of 2011, you know, with our business model, running out homes for football games, it's, you know, you put in all the work in the summer and then, uh, you know, hope that people uh, gotcha. are, you know, people right. are renting in kind of June, July, and August is when they're actually making the reservations. And then their stays are happening in How'd the fall. How'd you find the homes? The flyers. <laughs> you know, so, so
0: you're putting up flyers not so much to <laughs> rent to the, to the sports fans but to say hey do you want to get out yeah, of dodge when exactly you know yeah. the town goes crazy yeah
1: i hired a local guy to kind of uh the first day i was there show me around town to kind of give me an idea of okay what are the neighborhoods that would be desirable where right. people would want to stay right and then those were the neighborhoods that we focused on with the flyers so the yeah. first you know that week i was there it was 100 focused on let's get home signed up
0: so why state college i mean it's it sounds like a cool place to go because it's small, it's remote. Yeah. Um, was that part of the driver?
1: Yeah, 100%. What has made our model so successful in South Bend is that um, it's it's not a huge urban area. So it's not a city like Chicago with tons of hotels. It's It's not worth it. To build a ton of hotels there, because outside of seven or eight weekends a year you 're not yeah. going to be full. it has uh, a huge football stadium, huge fan base that's filling up the stadium every week, you know whether the team is, is winning or not the, right. the stadiums selling out and an alumni base that's coming from far enough away that they want to stay for the weekend, yeah, so we were looking for places that really kind of fit that model um, you know state Penn State has if you know one of the biggest three or four football stadiums in the country. Uh, a lot of their alums are in New York, Boston. It's it's in this little state college is a very cool town, but it's in the middle of the mountains. Right. It's tough to get to. So again, it really just checked all those, and you know, a rabid fan base. So it checked all those. Sounds bars.
0: sounds really smart. Did it prove out to be the right call?
1: Yeah, so we we had a uh, you know we've talked a lot about if, if if market 2 when we were kind of testing it when I was a student wouldn't have worked if we would have picked somewhere worse than say college um you know we might have shut it down right yeah. there.
0: So what what makes a market sustainable? When do you get to the tipping point that says, you know, we're really rolling the right way? So it's
1: it's really this supply demand balancing act. If we have 100 homes and we're not able to get them rented, then we have a bunch of homeowners who are mad at us. On the flip side, if we have a market with ten homes, and uh, you know we have tons of people who want to rent, you know that's a really then you bad, get annoying. yeah, it's yeah, a bad shopping experience for them. They can't find a home they like. Yeah, that's, um,
0: that's got to be tough to balance.
1: Yeah, so it's a. I mean, even today, that's a, a thing we, uh, you know, it's kind of like you you get the supply going, then you got to run over here and get the demand going, and then run back over here.
0: How many places did you sign up to rent at Penn State, and did you fill them all?
1: In the first year, we probably had. Around twenty-five homes today at Penn State. I think we have about ten times that many. We didn't fill them all for every game. It, it tends to be the case that you know there's one. So you or have two. to pay
0: the rent tour?
1: No, so it's it's they're almost all primary residences. So it's people who live there and then, you know, our pitch is hey, leave town if you get rented. So we're not guaranteeing that they're going to get rented. We're just saying list on our site, make it available, we'll then try to rent it. So you're
0: really kind of a listing service to these. Yeah,
1: exactly. Really just acting as a marketplace. And what we found is that, you know, of those twenty-five homes, there's usually Uh, one or two huge games where, like, everything we have is going to get booked, maybe one or two, um, you know, mid-tier games, and then usually kind of one or two games that aren't that
0: great. Right.
1: Um, So some games, yeah, we rented everything. Some games, you know, we maybe only rented uh, half of those, 25 homes.
0: Timeline-wise, this is before Airbnb. and Yeah, really, when those companies were kind of just getting going. So Mike partnered with Penn State and Notre Dame alumni clubs and advertised on blogs and social networks to help market Rent Like a Champion. Things were working in his first two markets when he added Ann Arbor to the mix in the fall of 2011. That's when his business partners pitched the idea of spinning off the rental business into its own company and asked Mike to run it. I think I liked,
1: you know, the idea of doing something kind of innovative and kind of new. I really liked Drew, Jordan, and Derek. They were great, are great guys to work with. And I, you know, I started doing the calculus in my head of, okay, worst case scenario here is that in a year, um, this falls on its face, and I end up on mom and dad's couch for a couple weeks, and then I try and figure something else out. So the worst-case scenario didn't really seem that bad. Yeah. Um, we were also fortunate in that— Young and stupid. <laughs> I guess I suppose so. You know, we were also fortunate in that we had this uh, existing real estate company that sure. you, you know, even though we separated them, uh, each business could kind of prop the other up sure. as, as needed. Sure. So, sure. Um, again, we were— spinning the company out of that existing real estate business really uh, allowed us to kind of incubate the idea for the first, you know, year and a half without worrying about – worrying as much about, you know, yeah. are we going to be able to keep the lights on? It was a good first year. I mean, we made – we recouped all our, our year one investment in Penn So State. cash flows are decent? Um, yeah, it was cash flowing well. People were paying – when they booked, so they were paying us, you know, 45, 60 days yeah, in advance. Yeah, that was a question. So um, you're –
0: your cash flows are solid you don't have to pay the homeowner until the rental is complete
1: correct? Yeah so they they you know the renter pays us up front we put some chunk of that money off to the side that's going to be paid to the homeowner later you know between the real estate company and the hundred homes we had in South Bend you know even though Penn State wasn't you know maybe making Tons and tons of money. Uh, it at least proved to us that hey, there's something here. The and business things.
0: model works right.
1: And Arbor's been uh, another really great town for us. That kind of checks a lot of those boxes of what makes our town successful. We actually had a lot of uh, discussions about that. About. Um, are people gonna see the name? Know it's a group of Notre Dame guys, and you'll be like, oh, screw that! I'm not gonna, I'm yeah, not gonna right. do business with them. Um, you know, I guess hard to know if that at some point has that happened. Pro- you know, maybe, yeah. but uh, I, I don't think it's been. Uh, it's funny uh, that Notre Dame guys would say,
0: "Let's go make money off Michigan," but you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose so. Um,
1: yeah. But yeah, that was one of you know. I think after Penn State and Ann Arbor was uh, you know, maybe town three or four for yeah. us. It was, yeah. it was and really so hard. how'd
0: you pick the South, uh, the Southern school, same model?
1: Yeah, really same model we tried to you know, was, we tried to be as uh, uh as data driven about where we were going as we could in terms of looking at um you know, stadium size, uh average number of tickets sold per game, how big is the alumni base. But then there was also some more qualitative aspects to it, you know, is the team good this year? Is the schedule good? You know, schedule plays a really big part in what we're doing. Um you know, so do they have big home games? Uh so it was, it was a mix of, you know, quantitative and qualitative and it, it just, you know, the the South and especially the, the SEC specifically, um, you know, football is is like a religion down there. Yeah, and uh, and a lot of those towns are your kind of quintessential traditional small college towns yeah. where there's not 100 hotels to choose from. Yeah.
0: Do you have kind of a qualification of a nice home or a mediocre home? I mean, how do you assess this? Some guy says, yeah, I'll rent you my home. Maybe you don't want to rent that home.
1: Yeah, we definitely have, you know, internally, uh, you know, kind of standards that the home needs to meet our, you know, one of the, uh, one of the folks on our team, her full-time Job is really working with our homeowners and making sure that their homes are kind of up to up to our standards. Um, we have really strict hey here 's exactly if you 're rented uh, we have a room by room checklist that 's you know six pages that's here 's exactly what you need to do to prep the home. You know We tell the homeowners uh, prepare the home as you would expect to find a hotel so there 's definitely for the folks who own the homes there 's definitely some sweat equity that goes into getting the place ready um, you know and especially like the, the first year a lot of people do this. Uh, you know, they'll lay out a good amount of money to buy, uh, you know, towels rental and sheets that. and rental towels. And, you know, then they're, they're paying someone to come in and clean it each weekend. So yeah. um, there's definitely some work that goes into it on the homeowner side. But uh, I think ultimately for a lot of them, it's, um, it's very much a, a worthwhile and, and rewarding experience.
0: As Rent Like a Champion continued to expand into more markets, Mike turned to Chicago's incubator, 1871, for help. That's Howard Tillman's incubator that has grown to national prominence.
1: When I moved to Chicago, so I finished college in May of 2012, uh, and that was right around the time that 1871 was opening up in the Merchandise Mart. So we were really kind of in that first wave of companies that moved in there, which um, at the time— I was working full time on the company uh, solo. So, my, as you mentioned earlier, my partners had other careers, they had other ventures going on, still very involved and plugged in, but they weren't day to day operational. So, for me, as a 22 year old moving to Chicago and working on a company alone, being in a place like 1871 uh, was, was huge. I mean, yeah. you know, I got. Were
0: you interacting with Howard at all?
1: Yeah, I met Howard a few times when I when I first went there. He he was not yet the CEO. He became the CEO, I think, maybe after I'd been there for six months or so. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's when it really
0: took off. Yeah,
1: you know, it started doing really well and and expanding. And you know, I I met a lot of people who I'm still close with to this day. um, You know, people kind of in the entrepreneurial startup scene in Chicago were people who I met at 1871. So it was it was just a really I I think I lucked out in the sense that a lot of the people who are maybe five or ten years ahead of me in their entrepreneurial journey. When they moved into 1871, they lamented that, oh, I wish this place existed ten years ago. Yeah. Uh, I never had to deal with it not existing, yeah, so I was, right. again, just very fortuitous timing.
0: Yeah, and you went to another incubator after that, correct?
1: Yeah, so we were in 1871 um, for probably about a year and a half, uh, maybe two years. Then we moved into a space called Catapult, uh, which is a really uh, a really cool, really unique space. So their, their model... Um, they're specifically for companies who uh, have some traction. They're usually, you know, maybe around the the million-dollar revenue range, uh, usually between five to ten employees. Uh, So the idea is it's for companies who kind of have some traction, uh, but you're not yet ready to sign a five-year commercial lease.
0: Right. You're Um, not sure where your scale is going.
1: Exactly. It's a a pretty small, tight community. So when we were there, there were probably 12 or 15 companies there. And um, it's it's all – I think one of the cool things about it, it's all uh, peer-selected. So – if there's an opening in the office, if there's a, an open office that comes up, um, people come in to pitch for it. Essentially, and the CEOs oh, of the cool. the CEOs of the current companies listen to their pitch. They get to ask them questions, and then the the person pitching leaves, and you kind of discuss. You know, do we think this company would be a good addition to the
0: community? This is 2013, 14 ish.
1: Around yeah, I think we moved into Catapult. Uh, yeah, late
0: 2014. And how many people do you got now?
1: I think at that point um, we had about. I think it was three full time and about three part time.
0: So so you're no longer uh, a company of one no longer. With some partners. You you you've got a team. Yeah,
1: we, we started to build a team um which was great. And I've I've told people before I uh not, you know, the, the first couple of years I, I very much enjoyed, but I started to enjoy uh <clears throat> I started to enjoy my job. A lot more as we began to build a team because yeah. I think, you know, just not only the social aspect but also just
0: uh, – Shared journey. Yeah,
1: having people to kind of – and not to – my partners were still very much involved. But I think starting to add other full-time people um, is when we really kind of started to click yeah. and started to roll.
0: Yeah, and so how how hard was it to get people to want to come work for a company of one? Like how <laughs> how hard was it to get employee number two?
1: Yeah, I mean we really had to uh, – uh, I think the first couple of folks we hired, you know, we really had to sell them on um, – you know, hey, here's why this is working. Here's why I continue, you know, why it will continue to work. Um, you know, some of those early people were coming from um, big organizations, very, uh, yeah. you know, kind of steady jobs at, uh, you know, corporations that have been there forever. So, yeah, there was definitely, it was, it was kind of like once I decided, hey, this is the person I want to hire, I had to go into sales mode a little bit yeah. and pitch them on right. why this is a good idea.
0: Mike wasn't just pitching prospective employees on Rent Like a Champion. He also pitched his business on Shark Tank. To one of the biggest names out there.
1: I found an email address for the Shark Tank casting department. And I started emailing them. Uh, I set reminders. I would email them updates like every two months about, uh, you know, the first one was just, hey, here's who I am, here's what we're doing. And I was never getting responses, yeah, but I would sure. just keep, you know, sending them updates. And then early 2015, so I'd probably sent them, you know, over eight months, four different emails at this point. Uh, I got a phone call early 2015 from somebody who was on the casting team, which, you know, I didn't know if my emails were even being seen by anyone. And that that started that process. The application and, and vetting process this show put you through is is pretty rigorous. We filmed in June of that year and then we uh we were ultimately on the show in September of twenty fifteen for the
0: first time. You got a couple hundred thousand dollars for ten percent equity.
1: We did, yeah. So we ended up uh taking investment from Mark Cuban and Chris Saka, who was uh who was a guest, uh a right. guest for our episode. And you know, I think we were fortunate in that um we went on the show, and because you know, backtracking a little, because our company had been born out of this existing real estate company, we hadn't on day one had to go raise money from investors. So we really didn't have any external investors. It was really a, a pretty tight group of us who owned the company.
0: So, did you, know, you need the money?
1: Uh, the money was was helpful for sure. I, I tell people all the time if I had to kind of rate, um, you know, the the benefits of being on the show, I think it'd be. Uh, partnering with Mark and Chris and their network would be one two would probably be the exposure you just get from the show and then three would be the money so obviously the money was was great and helped us do some things that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to do Um, that's I think another reason we were fortune is that we weren't in a scenario where if we didn't raise the money, we had to shut down. You know, yeah, we were we right. were doing okay, but we just thought, hey, if we... Uh, Which
0: makes it, frankly, easier to invest. I think that's one of those kind of catch-22s a lot of companies have yeah. when they're starting because right. they need money to get started, but nobody wants to give them money unless they can show they can generate unless cash they flow. they don't really need right. it. Yeah, right.
1: exactly. So right. I think it also just helped us, me and my partner Drew, who went out to do the pitch and who were on the show... I think the fact that we didn't necessarily need it uh, allowed us to just be a lot looser, kind of yeah, have a good time yeah, with it. Right, you know, yeah. we weren't totally yeah, in our own A little own corny, heads.
0: but a lot of fun. I saw it Definitely. Yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely so, some cheese. So Mark and Chris, how active are they or were they? Are they still?
1: Yeah, they, uh, you know, it was uh, kind of funny story on that note. So they film like 10 days in a row, right? And we were day one or two. So we were pretty early. Um, we made the deal. We shook hands with Mark and Chris. Uh, and then we left. And we got back to Chicago, and two or three days passed, and we hadn't heard anything. And we're like, "Well, I didn't get like a business card from Mark Cuban. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I don't have his email." <laughs> yeah, and we we ultimately, you know, someone from Mark's team reached out, and kind of we started the the paperwork and whatnot. But yeah, we didn't know what to expect because obviously they have a lot of things going on. Um, you know, we knew we weren't going to be the the number one priority on their minds, so we weren't sure are we going to get a check and, and never hear from them again. Yeah. Um, we were really pleasantly surprised. Uh, in how involved they were. So we were sending them updates, you know, every week, letting them know what's going on, uh, making sure that, uh, they were always kind of up to speed on where we were at so that if, and when we had an ask for them and we had something that we wanted them to help out with, we weren't having to catch this, you know, catch them up on what happened in the last six months. So we were sending them updates every week. They were interacting, responding usually every other week about, Hey, what's this about? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing more of this? Um, so yeah, they were they were very plugged in which was cool to see. And
0: in, in, so was it virtually so emails and whatnot or was it you know, would they call? Would you have a conference call with them?
1: Typically typically email. You know, sometimes we'd hop on the phone, but yeah, it was typically emails back and forth and then the uh You know, the the next time we saw them actually after the show, so we filmed in June 2015, and then, yeah, it was mostly virtual or on the phone. Uh, The next time we saw them was the following fall, so the fall of 2016. Again, me just pestering the show nonstop, but, you know, the show will do these kind of follow-up, where are they now type of things. Um, And, like, the second we got home from our first filming – I started emailing them for produ- yeah, yeah, I was like, Hey, we'd love to do that. That sounds fun. And every I'd you know come up with an idea of, hey, here's a segment we could do, here's a segment we could do. They finally agreed to let us do uh kind of a tail, you know, essentially let's see the products. Um, you know, film in one of your houses, go to a football game. Um, so we all went down to a football game, and Mark and Chris came. We went to Auburn, oh, Alabama. Oh, there you go. Um, I mean,
0: they're huge sports. Uh, he's, yeah. I know Mark is, I don't
1: know. Yeah, no, it was a ton of fun. Got to spend a day with him. Uh, that was funny as the producers were, uh, you know, when the producer finally agreed, and he said, okay, let's, you know, let's do it. Um, he asked me, he's like, well, what day, what day do you want to do it? And then I'll go check with Mark. And I was like, I think— Maybe we should start with his schedule, and uh, yeah, <laughs> then right. we'll come back to me. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we, we they, they came down to Auburn and uh, had a had a great time. What's he like, Mark? Yeah, he's uh, he's he's been great to work with. Like I said, it, just how quick, not only how plugged in he is, how quickly he responds to things um, is you know incredibly impressive. I mean, you'll you'll email him and you'll get something back in you know four minutes. Um, you know, obviously super direct. Yeah. Uh, which I think for me, the first time I wrote him an email, I was probably drafting it for like forty minutes because I never wanted to hit the send button. Right. Uh, got over those nerves after some time, and then it became just a much more you know, normal, sorta, normal yeah, relationship. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, each each of them has been um, you know, great to work with.
0: Yeah, and they're still involved now.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're both uh, they're both. You know, we keep in touch with them. Um,
0: yeah, keep so them up to date on yeah, progress. Yeah, exactly So, so uh, how many cities are you in now?
1: So we uh, we have homes uh, in about 100 cities around the country.
0: Wow. Um, and, and I know, and let me interrupt, but yeah. I know it's no longer just college football. You're doing the Masters, all different types of events. Yeah, NASCAR. that's
1: from day one when they got involved, uh, that was kind of the big thing that Mark and Chris pushed for immediately was, uh, hey, if, if we really want to you know, blow this out um, – we we can't be just a college football business. You know, we yeah. we have to get in other things. So uh, I think that was one of the things that um, I think we maybe would have gotten there eventually. But they really pushed us to hey, you know, now's the time to, to so start. To, were you uh,
0: thinking that at the time, or was that innovation? Was that value right off the bat? Yeah,
1: I mean, it was definitely. I, I think we we were always thinking that we'd have to do it eventually, but. Um, to be honest, I'd kind of kicked it down the road a little bit. With uh, I was very concerned about, uh, you know, oh, are we spreading ourselves too thin, and is, is now the right time? Because uh, there was still so much green space in college football. But I think uh, what what they helped with is just getting me comfortable with the idea of like, hey, if you don't do it, you know, why wouldn't you do it now? Someone else is going to go grab market share if you don't do it. Um, so pretty immediately, we started looking for more markets. To uh, you know, I think the vertical that for us has been the most successful, second to college football, has been. Uh, PJ Tour events. Really? Um, which has been really cool. Why? Yeah. So we've actually gone – the model's a little different with those where we are actually partnering with the tournament directors around the country. Uh, and we're oftentimes doing housing for the golfers. Oh, um, I was going to ask
0: about that. Yeah, yeah
1: which is – Super fun,
0: you know yeah. what we get. Some of the better golfers like to travel with their family.
1: Yeah, they travel with family. They have a caddy stay. Uh, you know, they'll bring kids. They'll bring a spouse, and and, and they're they're there for a week. Usually, you know, a tournament is Thursday to yeah. Sunday. They'll show up yeah, on Monday they show or Tuesday. Up for practice, yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of them it's just a much more enjoyable experience to have a home near the course.
0: Yeah, and you know, I I, I think it's interesting because your your market originally started, you know, ten guys going to a game. Right, but, but you know, it, it's you pitch it more about more of a family experience.
1: Yeah, in, in college football, that's uh, that's really what attends the two most common groups we get um, at college football games. One is kind of a mini family reunion. So it'll be, you know, a couple who went to school together. They'll bring kids. Grandma and grandpa, will be, you know, they'll come. So you'll have a group of six or eight. And then the second most common group is, you know, three or four couples uh, kind of having a mini class reunion. You know, yeah. they'll all go back for a game. So less so now, but when we first started, I think there was this idea that uh, homeowners were worried my home is going to be turned into a frat house for the weekend, right. uh, which is really not the case. You know, it, it tends to be these kind of older groups who are uh, professionals. They're not doing the bombs anymore. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, Might tre- be they're sipping treating some the McAllen. But that's, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah. So, how has technology impacted your organization over time? I mean, I'm sure when it was just you, it was a laptop or something like that.
1: Yeah, so I'm a, uh, I myself am not uh, a developer, so we've we've worked with the same uh, developers for really almost the whole time I've been working on this for so, your website and all the yeah, back-end ex- technology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we've uh, built everything from from scratch. We've we've put a lot of time and money and energy into our technology. It's a nice and, website, by the way. Yeah, thank you. No, we're we're proud of it, and um, it's kind of a, it's a never ending thing, right? Like the site is never done. Right. Uh, we we feel like we're at a really good place, but there's always new things we want to add. There's always kind of corner cases that come up where. Customers say, hey, I wish you had this feature. Or homeowners say, hey, I wish I could do this on my listing. Uh, so we try to be really in tune and, and let kind of the users drive what we need to build
0: as far as technology goes. How, how do you market your company today? You know, back then it was Flyers. I can't believe you're going to 100 cities with Flyers yeah. distributing. Yeah, not
1: as much with the Flyers anymore, which is kind of kind of nice. Um, you know, it's a lot. Uh, most of our advertising is is digital. It's online. So it's a lot of, you know. Facebook and Google are our two so kind targeting, of targeting.
0: You, you look for alumni groups. Yeah, uh, exactly. That kind of thing.
1: Exactly. Uh, on the homeowner side, uh, on the homeowner side, we still do some more. You know, maybe I guess traditional marketing things. You know, so we'll do some direct mail. Uh, we'll host a, if we're launching a brand new town. We'll go there and host events. You know, info events. Come meet us. Oh, ask cool. us about how it works. Uh, on the homeowner side, actually, we see a ton of of, of signups from referrals. So our existing homeowners. They'll sign up. Give them
0: bonuses and yeah, signups.
1: Yeah, exactly. So what you know, we say, hey, if you have a friend uh, who signs up, we'll send you a check for a hundred bucks. And it's, uh, I, I think, what we found is that once people rent their house out two or three times and they're making, you know, twelve, thirteen hundred dollars a pop, uh, it's a really good story, and they like to tell their friends and their family that, hey, I covered my mortgage for four months by leaving the house for, you know, four yeah. days. Yeah, right. That's so great. it uh, it tends to spread pretty
0: quickly. Yeah. So I mean, Airbnb now is big. How do you compete against them?
1: Yeah, so we've tried to really be uh, just laser. Fo- a couple things we've tried to one be laser focused on the markets that we get into. So we really want to focus uh, around these big events in these smaller towns uh, that maybe aren't traditional vacation destinations outside of these seven or eight big weekends a year. Yeah. Um, and then you know so so that's I think one thing, just being really laser focused on where we're operating. Uh, and then secondarily. Uh, our customer service and kind of hands-on support um, is something that we really pride ourselves on, and that's how we try to set ourselves apart. Yeah. A lot so of from
0: from a renter standpoint, you're much more renter friendly.
1: We we try to be, yeah, you know, we try to be very hands-on. Uh, even from the you know for the homeowners, a lot of them have never done this before. Uh, so you know, but they don't want to just list on a site. They want to have a conversation about how this works and what should I expect and things yeah. like that.
0: Yeah. So I know you're on the uh, twenty eighteen Inc five thousand list. Three hundred and fifteen percent growth. Did I get that right? I think I was right. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. How do you manage that? I mean, I you know that sounds wonderful as a business owner, but then I also think about the growth factor of that staff, personnel, technology, investment, all yeah. those things.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, was, there's was definitely challenges that come along with that. I think um, you know, I think you hit on the head. You know, technology like kind of. What we've tried to always do is make sure that we're investing enough in the technology that, um, you know, we can kind of punch above our weight a little bit. Like, hey, let's automate as much as we can. Let's sure. make this a really seamless process. Like I said, if, if people want to just use the site and not call in, let's build it such that they can. Um, you know, I think the biggest way we've been able to do that and, uh, you know, kind of stay stay afloat is, uh, is having a really great team. You know, hiring people um, who are very, very good at their specific, you know, hiring people with specific skill sets where I can give them a silo of things and just let them kind of run let it and run let them own it. it. Right. Um, I think that has, has helped us, uh, you know, I do want to say survive the growth because it's a good thing, but that's helped us kind of navigate um, as we've, you know, grown as a company.
0: You've, you've a been in a lot of media, what's interesting in or provocative, provocative question that you've been asked?
1: Oh man, interesting or provocative question. This, on, on the Shark Tank episode, I guess this isn't something we were asked. But I guess where I almost stepped in a little bit on media. We, we had this whole thing, Drew and I, that uh, before we took a deal, we were going to try and get whoever was going to invest to agree to come tailgate with us at a Notre Dame game. And uh, you know, Mark said, "Hey, I'll you know I'll do." Mark and Chris, they said, "Okay, I'll do the deal." Um, and then we're like, "All right, well, before you do it, there's you know we have an extra provision. We want you to come to the Notre Dame game." And you know, Mark's like, I went to Indiana. I hate Notre <laughs> Dame. He's like, No, I'm not. I'm not going to a game. And we we tr- we we made another run, and we're like, Oh, all right. Well, what if we went to a game where he's like, Guys, you, like. This is ridiculous. Are you gonna do the deal or not? So we immediately kind of just drop the charade. <laughs> no, We're like, never mind, real. never mind. Oh well, um, good for him, Steve Oh yeah. Yeah, proceed. it was funny. He's like, Are yeah. you kidding? I, I hate Notre Dame. I'm not going.
0: <laughs> Mike's not just a businessman, he's also giving back. He launched the nonprofit one million ones with the aim to take smaller donations and distribute them to lesser known charities. What I found talking to a lot of my
1: friends is that people my age.
0: Um you know, thirty-ish. You know, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Want want to donate to, to good causes, but um you know, two things I think maybe kind of prohibit them. One is they don't really know where should I be giving my money. And then two is that, you know, a lot of people my age are, you know, they're paying student loans, they're saving for a down payment on a home. They can't really afford to give much and they think, well, if I can only give ten or twenty bucks, does that What's really the move point? the needle? Is yeah. it really worthwhile? So what we've What we've tried to do is we've built this platform. It's all based on subscription giving. So you sign up. You can give as little as a dollar a month. uh, And then each month we take all the donations, bundle them together, and we give them to a new nonprofit. Uh, So 100% of the money goes to the nonprofits at the end of the day. uh, And we're kind of out there scouring, finding really cool, innovative organizations that are doing great work but um, who maybe don't have the big name recognition where they're getting a ton of donations.
0: So you said something that is shockingly different and that is that 100% of the giving goes to the charities. How is that possible? How do you do that?
1: So it, it, it's possible because, right, it's really just there's there's not a ton of overhead to it. I mean, it's, you know, it's we, we built a website. Uh, we're out there, you know, trying to get friends, family, uh, you know, people we know professionally to, to get the word out. Um, you know, our goal ultimately is to get to a point where um, – you know, we can find a philanthropist who'd be willing to underwrite our operating cost and essentially say, "Hey, you know, we would like the numbers to look like, hey, we think if you give us 50k to run it for a year, that'll generate you know 500k in donations through the through the platform." Uh, we're clearly not there yet. We're we're very right. early on. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, we also we didn't want any optics of. Uh, and granted, obviously, a lot of nonprofits have programming costs and that's to be expected. But we didn't want the optics of. You know, hey, we're trying to skim off, you know, five, ten, whatever percent. Um, so, you know, we were just very deliberate from the beginning that that's how we're going to set it up. All the money's going to flow through. Um, and again, I think that's that's resonated with people.
0: Can you tell us any uh, successes? Any, you know, what 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 charities you've given to?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we we've tried to be, um, we've tried to pick charities from not only geographically different areas, but also focusing on different, um, you know, societal problems. I suppose so. Uh, There's a group out of New York called Rescuing Leftover Cuisine that essentially uh, partners with restaurants to take their leftover food to homeless shelters. They were one of our first ones. Um, This month, it's a group out of Austin uh, called uh, Street Cred that essentially helps low income families take advantage of, um, you know, earn income tax credit and things like that by. Uh, having to meet with financial advisors in their pediatrician's office. It was started by pediatricians, so that's kind of a oh, cool that's thing. Cool. Yeah. Um, we actually have the first couple of Chicago nonprofits that are going to be featured coming up. Um, one is uh, Sukasa, which is a Catholic worker house on the south side of the city. And then one is Girl Forward, who works with uh, young female um, uh, immigrants into the U.S. Wow, that's great. Right.
0: How did you start this? What was the impetus? And I, I know you have some helpers uh, on that board. Yeah. How did you find these guys?
1: Yeah, you know, so uh, the idea was something I had had for a while um, just in terms of you know making giving automated and you know introducing young people each month to a new cool nonprofit, um, but it was it was kind of stuck in that idea phase for a long time. And again, kind of fortuitous right place right time. I was introduced to a guy. The connection is funny. It's my brother-in-law's high school friend's father-in-law. So okay. it's a weird you know fourth degree <laughs> right. type of thing. But he, uh, it's a guy named Peter Bankendorf. He's in Dayton, Ohio. He runs uh, essentially. The, it's it's a place called the the collaboratory, and their model is to be an incubator specifically for nonprofits. Okay. So their whole pitch is, hey, if you have a good idea, but um,
0: you know, I wondered if your your incubator experience included that, but it really wasn't. It was really,
1: yeah, it's kind of a new a new twist on you know these these incubators and these accelerators where. Um, you know, it's kind of daunting for me. I'm not in the nonprofit world. I don't know how to set up a 5 one 3 I don't know. Very different. So yeah. he essentially says, hey, we have the nonprofit structure. You can run your project, you know, under our umbrella essentially. And then the ultimate goal is they want to spin stuff out as as their own nonprofit. So they've had some really cool projects come out of there. Um, you know, I met with him a few times. He liked the project. Uh, he hooked me up with a few people in the nonprofit world who could be helpful and um, really helped me get it off the ground. Oh,
0: that's awesome. Yeah. Well, this was great. I really enjoyed our talk today. Uh, Thanks for uh, joining us on Midwest Mavericks, and it's a pleasure to meet you. And uh, best of luck. Hope you stay on that Inc. uh, 5000 list for a while. Yeah,
1: thanks so much. Great to meet you as well, and uh, it's been a pleasure.
0: I'm Dave Davenport, and this is Midwest Mavericks, powered by Mother G, your leader in IT services. Midwest Mavericks is powered by Mother G. For more information and a free security assessment, visit MotherG.com.